0: Thank you for listening to this week's podcast from the Horsham Church of Christ. For more information, please visit our website at www.horsham.org.au Good morning. Um, So seven years ago, I took a year off work and I went travelling overseas. Um went to a lot of different places, but one of them that I went to was Israel. And I wanted to go there because I wanted to experience the culture and the people that so much of the Bible is set in. So I worked on a farm um, just south of the Judean desert for a little while. And that's me on a hike there. So you can see it's it's a very rugged country, very dry. Um, This is the sort of area where they think Jesus went when he was tempted for 40 days. So you can imagine how that would have added to the hardship of it all. I also went to northern Israel, which you can see is much greener, much more lush. And uh, this is Galilee. This is where Jesus grew up and where he spent so much uh, of his time. Of course, I also went to Jerusalem, uh, the capital city, And as I was walking through the alleyways of Jerusalem with the traditional white stone that Jerusalem is so known for, I could really imagine what it must have been like to be there 2,000 years ago and when Jesus walked similar alleyways. Um, So I was starting to get this sense of what the Bible was like and what it was like 2,000 years ago. But it wasn't enough for me to get a full grasp of who Jesus is. So I found myself wondering what would it have been like back then to walk down an alleyway like this and see Jesus coming towards me or to sit on a hill in Galilee and hear him speak. If you were to meet Jesus in this sort of situation, he'd probably introduce himself as the Son of Man. This was his favourite title for himself. And he didn't just pick it because it was this cool nickname like the Son of Man. It's got this earthly sort of tone to it. Um, It actually goes back about 600 years before Jesus was even born to a guy called Daniel and others mention it as well. But Daniel was a prophet and he had a vision about this Son of Man. In Daniel 7, 13 to 14, he describes what he saw in this vision. In my vision at night I looked, and there before me was one like a son of man, coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient of Days and was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All nations and peoples of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away and his kingdom is one that will not be destroyed. Now, Jesus chose this name, Son of Man, for himself, knowing that his audience would come to this passage. They would associate this passage with his name. And he did that knowingly. Um, There were two reasons, I think, he did this. First of all, this passage suggests that He is the Messiah. He's divinely appointed. Um, He's given authority, glory, power. He was worshipped. These things hint at God. So Jesus is hinting that he's the Messiah. In other parts of the Bible, it says that Jesus actually is God. The second reason that he chose this title, Son of Man, I think, is because he is a son of man. He is a human. Jesus is a human like us. As Joel said, uh, Josh said last week, Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us, but is with us as a human. And both of these aspects, his divinity and his humanness, are very important as we look at who this Jesus was. As we come back to my question before, what would it have been like meeting him face to face as a human. When I read the Gospels, it fascinates me that people from all walks of life are somehow drawn to Jesus. They came in crowds from all over the countryside, way up from Galilee and down from the desert. They went hungry because they'd travelled so far to see him. They travelled across the seas, chasing him as he went in his boat all just to be near him, to hear him speak, to see his miracles. What was it about Jesus that made people do this? This is what I'd like to invite you today to come and explore with me a little bit more. Because I've struggled with it for quite some time now because to me Jesus is actually a bit of a paradox. On the one hand... Jesus is God and his standards as God are so much higher than anybody else's in history. The Ten Commandments and the laws that were associated with them, they were really hard to keep. The Pharisees spent their whole life trying to keep these laws to the nth degree. And along comes Jesus and he makes them even more impossible to keep. He broadened murder to include anger and adultery to include lust and theft to include coveting or strongly desiring what someone else has. In Matthew 5.48, he even goes as far as to say, be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. I mean, really? We are to be as perfect as as God. That's a pretty high standard. Um, but it is the standard that Jesus lived by. So that's one side of this paradox that I see. The other side is that when we read the Gospels, it seems to be the most imperfect people that are the ones that are most drawn to Jesus. How can this be? What is it about this perfect Jesus that drew imperfect people to him and made them want to share their lives with him. So when you imagine somebody perfect, who do you who comes to mind? I thought about this and I thought Hannah. <laughs> Not Hannah's perfect, no. Hannah's like Mary Poppins, practically perfect in every way. No, no, she's wonderful. But what I meant was I'm going to ask Hannah because she has very good ideas. So I asked Hannah, I'm looking for someone in the movies who's shown to be perfect. Have you got any ideas? And after thinking for a while, she actually said something really revealing. She said, there aren't many because perfect people are boring and unrelatable and I thought I'm keeping that that's really good they are boring and not relatable but now hang on Jesus is perfect so does that mean that Jesus is boring and that Jesus was irrelevant from some of the pictures that I've seen of Jesus when you google and look at pictures of him or some of the Jesus movies that I've seen, I'd be tempted to say that, yeah, maybe he was. (laughs) But when we read the Gospels, that is not the Jesus that I see. He was not this serene, untouchable metahuman that just drifted through life and all its hardships. Jesus wept, he got excited, he got angry... He was moved with compassion. He got exasperated at times and he even got lonely. Jesus was a human. He had feelings and emotions like you and I. And when I read the Gospels, it seems that he was more in touch with them and more open with them than lots of us seem to be willing to be today. But I have another problem as well. In my head... I can't put this perfect person together with someone who would be approachable. Because to me, I would always fall short. And to be honest, this is a problem that I have with Jesus as well. How can I possibly come near to this perfect Jesus with such high standards when I know I fall so short of them so often? To explore this a little bit more, let's look at the story of Matthew, the tax collector. I'm sure a lot of you are familiar with his story. At the time when Jesus walked on earth, Israel had been invaded by the Romans and they were now ruling Israel. Um, They pretty much let the Jews do their own thing most of the time, so they still let them have their religion and their way of life. But Caesar who was the ruler of Rome, he required the, Romans, uh, the Jews to pay taxes to keep the mighty Roman Empire going. Now, the Jews had come from this rich heritage of a mighty kingdom themselves, the kingdom of Israel, and they were very proud of that. So it didn't go down well with them that they were now under the rule of these Gentiles and they had to pay taxes to them. So, for the most part, the Israelites hated being under Roman rule. And Matthew, or Levi, which is another name that he was known by, he was a Jewish man who collected this money or these taxes for Caesar. So, he was a tax collector. To the Jews, he was a traitor for doing this. And to rub salt into the wound, he or the tax collectors had this reputation of not just collecting the taxes that Caesar needed, but just upping the tax rate a little bit and then skimming the rest of that money off to make themselves rich. So they were despised by society. They were the outcasts. And this is the context of, that we need to read this passage in. And I can't help thinking that Matthew must have carried the thought around that He's this Jew, and he's a Levite, no less. Levites were the ones who served in God's temple. So he was this Jewish, Jew of a Jew kind of guy. And for a living, he cheated his countrymen of their money. So he probably didn't have the greatest self esteem, I would think. Let's pick up the story in Luke chapter 5, verse 27 to 32. Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Jesus answered them, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Again we face this paradox. The perfect son of man is feasting with sinners. Sinners. And what's more, he seems very comfortable about it. There's no shame or embarrassment as he talks to these upright religious leaders who are outside. In fact, he seems to prefer the company of the sinners to the religious people of the day who surely would have been much closer to his perfect standard than anybody else. Absolute perfection mingling with those who are furthest from it. How is this possible? To find out, let's explore the two scenes that are in this passage a little bit more. The first scene takes place in the streets of Capernaum. And Capernaum, it's up in the green part of Israel in those photos that I showed before. So up in Galilee. Levi is sitting at his tax booth And he's probably heard of Jesus. Maybe he's even been in the crowds watching Jesus do a miracle or hearing him speak. But Jesus is this respected religious teacher. Why would he spare a thought for this tax collector, this traitor to his own people? And yet Jesus does more. He invites Matthew to follow him. The term follow me can mean either to walk along the same road as someone or to become a disciple. Both of these invitations are extraordinary when you think about it. Matthew doesn't deserve either of them. But Jesus invites him anyway, not just to walk along the same road, but to become one of his inner circle, one of his closest friends. Why does he do this? Well, we don't know. But if I were to hazard a guess, I'd say there's no particular reason that he chose Matthew. There's nothing special about Matthew, except maybe as Jesus says later on in verse 31, Matthew was sick and he was looking to be healed. So what does this show us about Jesus, the Son of Man? Who does he seek out and invite his followers? Is it the religious people, those who think they have it all together and deserve to be his followers? No, it's the exact opposite. It's those who don't deserve it, but who are willing to accept Jesus' invitation. At Life Group a few weeks ago, we were discussing how Jesus called some of his other disciples and we realised a very interesting point that stuck with me. Did the disciples know what they were signing up for when they left everything and followed Jesus? No. They had no idea what they were signing up for. Three years later when Jesus' ministry was coming to an end, they still had no idea what was going on. They started realizing that Jesus was the Messiah or the Saviour, but they thought that this meant that he was going to start a revolution, chuck out these Romans, and they were going to be his mighty generals in battle. They had no idea what was going on, but Jesus was okay with that. It also means we don't have to have it all figured out to follow him either. Figuring it out is what will happen for the rest of our lives. And Jesus is okay with this. I was playing with my daughter Addie the other day and there she is, very pretty. Um, I was playing with her and I was so pleased because she just figured out how to roll from her back to her front. And we have this little toy and it has this little lever up the top and I've been trying to teach her to push it and she just figured out how to push this little lever. So I was really proud of her. But then I thought, as, as I was playing with her, I thought, surely this must be how God, how God is with us, his children. So often I struggle thinking that God expects me to do this or do that His standards are so high and I fall so short of them. But as a dad, I don't look at Addy and say, you have these two perfect legs, and yet you cannot take a step. You have this beautiful mouth and these fully functioning vocal cords. You make so much noise, (laughs) but you cannot say one single intelligent word. What is wrong with you, my daughter? That would just be silly. But I see God as doing exactly that with me. And that is so false. More and more, I'm beginning to see that I'm a work in progress, just like my daughter. And God is pleased with my little baby steps Towards him. How do we know this? Well, he accepted his disciples even though they followed him for all the wrong reasons. Romans 8 1 says, There is now no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. No condemnation. Jesus invites and accepts the unacceptable. And he continues to delight in us as we slowly grow into the people that he knows we will be. So this is a great comfort to me. And it's our first insight into why people might have been so attracted to Jesus. He accepts us as we are. And that's absolutely fundamental. Getting my relationship with God right That's where it all starts. But we don't want to stop there. So as we look at the second scene from the passage, at how Jesus related to other people in the story, what can we learn about how we relate to other people? So in the second scene, Jesus attends the party that Matthew throws for him. And Matthew has invited... All these tax collectors and sinners, as the Pharisees call them. We don't know who these sinners are. Maybe they were Gentiles. Maybe they were some other unsavoury characters um, from the town. But whoever they were, no self-respecting Jew would have been seen in their company, let alone eat and drink with them. That just would have been out of the question. Now, I want you to imagine being at that feast, where would you be? Would you be outside wondering why Jesus was partying inside with these sinners? Would you go in or would you be afraid to because somehow it might look like you're condoning their sin? Or would you honestly be happy to join Jesus even though there are people outside shaking their heads and muttering that you're making a big mistake. Jesus spent a lot of time doing social suicide, hanging around with people who he wasn't meant to be associating with. Are we following his example? To make it more personal who do I spend my time with? Who are my friends? Are they mostly people from this church? Are they mostly Christians? Where do I spend my time? Is it mostly at church or doing church activities? Now, there's nothing wrong with these things. It's very comfortable and safe. But is it following the example of Jesus? This has bothered me over the last year or so because I found that I was basically spending all my time outside of work amongst Christians. I wasn't investing in relationships with people outside of that who didn't know Jesus now, I'm not saying that my plan is to socialise with non Christians just so that I can tell them about Jesus and convert them. That's not what I want to do. I have great non Christian friends and I love hanging out with them just because of who they are. And I don't want there to be this hidden agenda that I have to tell them about Jesus and that's why I'm there. Because that's not being genuine and people want genuine relationships. But I just found that I wasn't making time for these other relationships because I was so busy doing stuff here at church. So I recently decided to be more intentional with where I spent my time. Trying to make time for people outside of my Christian circle. And just to be clear, I'm not saying that we shouldn't have Christian friends. Um, not at all. Christian friends and mentors are absolutely essential. They're where we get our nourishment, where we can support other people. It's absolutely crucial. But we mustn't forget that we are called to be witnesses. And to be a witness, you have to be among the people you're witnessing too. Jesus says in Matthew 5:14 to 16, "You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. How can we be a light if we keep to ourselves? Maybe I'm just saying this to myself because I know this is my tendency to do that, but maybe it also resonates with you. I think Simon said a while ago, would people miss us if Horsham Church of Christ disappeared? What do you think? Maybe. I don't know if people at my work would miss us very much. Now, that's not entirely our responsibility. There are a whole lot of other factors out there why that might be, why people aren't interested in church. But are we being a shining light in Horsham? So now we've got to the point where we've seen that the Son of Man deliberately hung out with people from all walks of life. But we still haven't answered the question of why people were so drawn to him. I notice at work people don't seem to be drawn to Jesus. In fact, they often seem to be repelled by him or at least repelled by the Jesus that the church portrays. And sometimes, as a Christian, I actually feel that the Christian views that I grew up with seem to be the more unloving ones in some of the issues of today. And that really bothers me. Because look again at Jesus. Here he is eating and drinking at Outcast Central, with all the people who fall so short of his perfect standards. And yet Jesus was comfortable and the people were comfortable. They wanted to be with him. Why? John 1.14 says that Jesus came full of grace and truth. Grace means undeserved love and mercy. And maybe in the light of the story of Matthew, we could also say that it means genuine acceptance by Jesus and therefore by God. So Jesus coming full of grace and truth meant that he had the truth, he stood up for the truth, but he always delivered it with genuine acceptance and love. Look at Matthew. Jesus didn't lead with, you're a sinner, stop cheating people of their money, get your life in order, and then you can come and follow me. He simply said, follow me. We'll work out the rest along the way together. He didn't dilute the truth, but he led with grace. The classic example for me is the woman caught in adultery. Jesus says to her, neither do I condemn you, acceptance. Now go and sin no more, truth. As humans, we like to label people, but Jesus wasn't like this at all. If we look back at the passage, verse 31 and 32, Jesus only put people in two boxes, the sick who were looking for help and those who thought they were healthy. It was to the first group that Jesus came. the second group, they weren't interested. And to Jesus, it didn't matter what walk of life the sick came from, whether they were a religious leader, a centurion, an adulterous woman, a fisherman or a tax collector, He invited them all with truth wrapped up in grace. And we're invited to do the same. The way we do this is through genuine invested relationships. As Jesus demonstrated, we're not encouraging or condoning sin when we hang out with people whose actions we don't agree with. It's the opposite in fact. We're showing that we genuinely love them as they are. And we will keep loving them even if they don't change. The example of Jesus shows us that this is the attitude that people respect and listen to. And this is the sort of Jesus that they're going to respond to. Since thinking about where I spend my time, I've had the opportunity to hang out with more people who I didn't have time, who didn't make time for before this. Um, One friend in particular comes to mind. We have similar interests and hobbies and as we do stuff together, we've had lots of conversations about all sorts of different things. And one that came up surprisingly, surprisingly naturally was God. I always make it out to be this big thing, but it just came up and we talked about it and discussed it. And because the relationship was there, We could discuss our beliefs without it being awkward. I even offered him a Christian book to read on one of the topics that we talked about, and he read it. He didn't find it very convincing, but that's okay. I think we can often have the wrong expectations about what it looks like to tell others about Jesus. I feel in myself there's often the pressure to see results. If I'm going to tell someone about Jesus, there better be a conversion or at least a very noticeable softening in their attitude towards Jesus. Otherwise, I haven't done a good enough job. But I think this attitude just sees things in completely the wrong light. You see, Jesus is a gentleman. He gave people the opportunity to encounter him But then if they didn't want to accept his invitation, he didn't push or nag or offer them gimmicks like if you sign up today, you will get special healing powers. He didn't do that. Why? Because he respects our freedom of choice. He wants willing followers. So my friend not wanting to follow Jesus at this stage is okay. We're still friends and we'll continue to be friends. It's not my job to convince him and our friendship doesn't depend on him being interested in God or not. Acts 1 verse 8 says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea, Samaria and to the ends of the earth. We are called to be witnesses to what we've seen and what we've experienced. Then we can offer an invitation, but the rest is not up to us. It's up to the Holy Spirit. And that feels like it's a huge weight lifted off my shoulders. So what have we learnt about the Son of Man? He is perfect. Yes, he is perfect, but at the same time, he's approachable. People wanted to be around him because although he didn't compromise on his standards, he accepted people as they were and where they were at. And he still does that today. And as his followers, we should do the same thing. So today, Will you accept his invitation? Do you feel unprepared, underqualified, downright not good enough to follow Jesus? He is okay with that. As he said, he came to heal the sick, not the healthy. He's okay with our slow progress. He is just pleased when we are moving forward, maybe with baby steps, with him. Will you accept his invitation to go outside of your comfort zone and be a light on a hill? Will you be a witness amongst the people? Are you already in conversations with people? That's great, well done. God is at work. As we do this, let us remember to follow the example of the Son of Man and in all our relationships be full of grace and and truth making sure that there is a heavy dose of grace and acceptance and he will go with us as we do this thank you